Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm Steve Letart, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Greetings. Welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Our guest this week is David Smith. He is the proprietor of the Motorsports Analytics website, which for my money is simply the best place to go for a statistical analysis of NASCAR. David goes way beyond just top fives, wins, lap sled, the traditional methods you might have for trying to figure out what happened during, happened during the course of a race. He goes much deeper. Uh, to understand what makes NASCAR drivers and teams successful. He fastidiously rewatches races, usually three times at a minimum, and meticulously records stats uh, that aren't always apparent to the naked eye, such as positions gained and lost on restarts, which are so critical now to determine the outcome of a race. Um, he, he keeps track of whether a driver was in the preferred line or not, inside or outside, uh, for a double file restart. Um, he uses NASCAR loop data to determine how a driver and a car manages speeds throughout the course of a race. He has just got a wealth of statistical knowledge at his fingertips, and he has used that to build out a comparative methodology for determining a driver's value relative to others that I think is, is fairly fascinating. I mean, it really is stock car racing meets sabermetrics. And the way that Sabermetrics applied numbers to baseball, David is doing that with NASCAR. And I think he's turned some heads and opened some eyes in the industry. His website is chock full of next-level data and also contains some really good writing, too. David is gifted in being able to frame his findings in a really accessible way. And I think you'll hear that in this podcast, which... The goal here is to do a statistical analysis of the championship four. So we're going to break down the chances and handicap the odds for Carl Edwards, Jimmy Johnson, Kyle Busch, and Joey Logano as those four drivers, those four championship eligible drivers, enter the title deciding race at Homestead Miami Speedway. 
Uh, David's got some good insight into their strengths and weaknesses at that track. And from there, we'll try to determine who we think might be the favorite going into Sunday. It might surprise you. It might not be the driver that you think it is. Uh, I got a lot of positive feedback when we had NASCAR stat guru Mike Ford on to analyze the round of eight a few weeks ago. And I think if you like that, you'll enjoy this as well. We tossed around the Moneyball references in the podcast with Ford. And David's David's approach is, is sort of like Moneyball for NASCAR. So also encourage you to check out David's website at it's uh, motorsportsanalytics.com. There is a subscription fee for the premium content there, but he also has some free content as well. And I think it's worth your time just, just checking it out, uh, especially if you like what he has to hear. Uh, we appreciate you listening to us. If you're hearing us via iTunes, please leave a rating or review or please subscribe or have your friends subscribe. That really helps us out. There are always many options for finding us. Audio Boom, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. If you go to any of those places, you'll be able to find the NASCAR on NBC podcast. You can also check out those same places for the NBC Sports podcasting lineup. Uh, that includes PA and Florio with Pro Football Talk's Mike Florio. There is the Pro Basketball Talk podcast, which just had a good episode on the five biggest surprises of the NBA season so far. And as always, there's there's the podcast with Joe Posnanski. He just did one of his popular draft episodes, the topic this time, U.S. currency. So uh, always enjoyable to hear his irreverent take on the world. Uh, NASCAR will be wrapping up the season in South Florida this weekend. You can catch the Xfinity race Saturday on NBCSN, and the Sprint Cup race will be broadcast Sunday on NBC as we wait to see who is determined the 2016 Sprint Cup champion. A reminder, all of our NASCAR coverage always available for streaming via the NBC Sports app. You can download that to your tablet or smartphone or watch on your laptop. So now here's our conversation with David Smith, which we taped at NBC Sports Charlotte on Tuesday, November 15th. This is Dale Jarrett, reminding you to watch new 90-minute episodes of NASCAR America weekdays starting at 5.30 Eastern. You'll hear from the stars of the sport, plus analysis from icons and Hall of Famers. 90-minute editions of NASCAR America weekdays on NBCSN. David, thanks for being here. Uh, Always been long admirer of, of your work. Uh, how long have you been doing motorsports analytics? Uh, since 2011. Okay. Uh, actually, it was the, around the time you and I were starting to get friendly with one another. And I, actually, before we start, I want to kind of commend you here. Uh, one of our early lunches together at Hickory Tavern, <laughs> you, uh, I asked you about being my first podcast guest on my podcast which is now uh, i canceled it myself but um, <laughs> it was it had a great run <laughs> it, it had a it had a very spirited run um but i asked you about podcasting you sent an email to jay busby because uh, at the time to your knowledge he was the only uh media personality in nascar that knew anything about podcasting and here you are you've got this <laughs> unbelievable regal studio <laughs> In Uptown Charlotte, that has dedicated parking. This is impressive. You've come a long way. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, no, seriously, I was a big fan of your podcast, Jay Busby, uh, Yahoo Sports. Uh, obviously, I, I did one of his pods like five or six years ago. I don't right. think he does it anymore, but I've always been a fan of, of this format and this concept. Yeah. And um, 
uh, it's it's good to have you here to be able to talk ab- about the, the the championship four. So analytics is is your game, as mm-hmm. you said. You've been doing this for for five years. Uh, tell me about how else are you involved in the NASCAR industry and and what goes into your research and study of of the NASCAR analytics. Uh, how else I'm involved? Uh, consultation, various clients that uh, require analytics needs. Uh, also work with a, a great sports agency and Rising Star Management Group. Uh, working to uh, help the careers of young race car drivers uh, figure out the the path to get to the top of NASCAR. It's not easy. It requires a lot of money. Uh, requires a lot of concentration. Um, and I'm excited to do that for those young drivers. Um, how I've been uh, associated with the sport, my father worked for uh, International Speedway Corporation in Daytona. Uh, I was born in Talladega, raised in Daytona. Um, so uh, very, very knowledgeable about the sport. I've always been in the environment. Um, whereas uh, my dad uh, worked uh, with ISC on permitting, uh, getting things uh, like the pedestrian overpass uh, on, uh, on ISB, uh, Daytona USA, uh, things like that built. Um, that, was, that was his expertise. Uh, mine, I've always wanted to be closer to the sport. Uh, I've always had a fascination with the young drivers and, and the teams and how they're built. Uh, and I've always wanted to be a part of that. Uh, ironically, it never crossed my mind to actually drive one of these things. Um, <laughs> and I, and I've just, I've never, I've never actually felt compelled to do that. So when I interact with a driver, I'm not living vicariously uh, as a lot of people in this industry seem to be, but um, <laughs> uh, no, I've just, for me, it's always been a lifestyle more so than a gig. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you know, NASCAR's never um, not been responsible for putting food on my plate. Uh, it's it's still responsible to this day. I'd like to keep it going, and motorsports analytics is the the next form of that. When did you realize that that numbers were, were an area that you really wanted to kind of you know make your bailiwick on? Right. I you know even in in high school and college, I was always good at math, but I never thought that I would ever apply it. Uh, I was hired out of college uh, by Motorsports Management International, uh, an agency that I believe is still in business uh, today, um, as a scout. And when you're on the road and scouting and you're reporting back, um, it's one thing to to experience uh, what you see, have that eye test. It's another when you enter the conference room on the Monday morning after the race weekend Uh, I was the only 22-year-old in a room full of 40-year-olds. I respect all of them, but they didn't care much for my experience because it was minimal. Um, So the the analytics point of view uh, made a lot of sense. If I come to the table with concrete evidence about drivers that are probably exceeding their equipment, that are doing uh, doing well in the series – uh, that they're uh, in which they're competing, you have to listen, right. um, it, 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 whether or not they bought it or not. But it, it's they, they had to listen. All of a sudden, I had a little bit more evidence than uh, my very minuscule experience with the eye test. So it's essentially a way to differentiate yourself. Yeah, and and, and I mean, and you had to. And mm-hmm. in, in those meetings, uh, when you're for a lot of times putting your job on the line. Um, you better be damn sure of the driver that you're throwing out there to potentially represent uh, because once the entire company is behind that that driver, that's a big investment 
uh, especially for a young driver, until they make it to the Cup Series. Mm-hmm. So you're going to spend a lot of time, a lot of money in preparation for that. And I know that uh, some of your stuff obviously is proprietary, but I know that like right. <laughs> your, your stats that I think you're you're most proud of is is Peer, right? Which is the performance in is it equal equipment? Uh, performance and equal equipment rating. Yeah. Right. It, um, so you know to to go back to that the conversation about being at the being in the conference room. Um, there has to be something, and, and you know you can you can go to motorsportsanalytics.com right now, read up on peer, understand it, see where the rankings fall. Um, whether you choose to buy into it uh, or not, the proper way to evaluate a driver is to consider the team and, the, and equipment. Uh, a driver that wins a lot of races, it, 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 wins aren't on the level. Uh, this is a very much a team sport. A lot of people lose sight of that. A lot of people in our industry lose sight of that. They're enamored with wins. They're enamored with trips to victory lane. I get that. It makes sense. There's a trophy. There's something tangible to point to and, and say that I did. Um, but there have been plenty of young race car drivers that are hard-pressed to run fifth in inferior equipment uh, that are really working their tails off in races and deserve that level of notice, they might not get it. So something like Pierre, it was actually built for young drivers. It's now applied to Cup Series drivers. Um, the rankings on the web page are one thing. How I actually uh, look at it is another. Uh, I actually I look more towards uh, the age uh, of an average driver uh, and where that Pierre falls and where current drivers fall above or below that line. Uh, and that's just a simple way of knowing who's a good driver and who's a bad driver. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Um, you have to have something in place that helps you sort through the minutia of winners uh, and catch those kids that fall through the cracks. Right, right. And peer obviously is, is, is a great way to do that. I mean, you're right, David. I, mean, I feel limited as a journalist trying to cover this sometimes because all, all we have are top fives and laps. So, okay. So that's, that's, that's something I wanted to ask you. So for, for NASCAR media, there seems to be a lot of explanation as to what you're talking about, what the rules are, uh, things that go into it. Why is that not accepted? But if I read a story about an NBA game, I know there's never any explanation as to what a rebound is, what an assist is. <laughs> Why, do you struggle with that? Do you have to go back and explain yourself on a lot of different just subjects of the sport? Yeah, a little bit. And I also, I mean, we had Mike Ford from NASCAR, NASCAR Stats Guru yeah. on the podcast a Love few Mike. weeks ago. And obviously he's he's done a lot with loop data that yeah. I think makes makes it more accessible. And But I find myself still trying to learn how to incorporate that. You know, before we got started here, we were talking about Zach Lowe, who of course is yes. one of America's greatest sports writers, and I think Slate said that. But yeah. I, I, I actually, I actually might agree. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and and what makes him so good is I think we were discussing is for for a general audience, he can take 
real sometimes what might be considered like abstract right. stuff that that you can learn through analytics or through statistics and then match it to video that he has from NBA games and explain how it all fits together. Yeah. And I've looked at that and said, why can't we do that in NASCAR mm-hmm. <laughs> or racing in general? And I'm not sure. I'm not sure like what the statistical obstacles or hurdles are there that, you know, myself or others like struggle with like finding a way to always tell that story the right. best way. But I, I, I admire, as I said, I've always admired your work because you're one of the few who has been able to do this. And I, before we get into the discussion of the championship four, I just want to uh, talk briefly when you build those peer ratings mm-hmm. uh, and that's based off how much an analysis of video do you do? Do you, do you go back and watch, you, you watch every race? I will probably, back, right? okay. So before next February uh, at Daytona, I will probably have watched every race this year three times. Um, probably once live, usually. And I don't do anything. I don't take notes. I watch just as an observer. Um, I mean, no disrespect to NBC and the good folks at Fox, but I'll usually mute it. Um, only because uh, I want to form my own opinion of what I see in the race. Um, and if there's a, you know, if there's a, a, a contradicting opinion, I'll, I'll find out about it and, and look into it and try to understand it. Um, but on the, the second and third viewings, um, the second is something, it'll be a lot of slow motion. Uh, it's, it's a lot, uh, uh, a lot like just watching uh, game tape and other sports. Uh, I'll monitor restarts. Uh, I do all of the, the statistics that you see on that website by hand. Um, off video off of, off of so like when people see like so-and-so gain this right. many spots or lost this many spots on a restart you are fastidiously and, I'll, and I'll, cro- I'll cross-check it with timing and scoring <laughs> documenting data, that yeah um so that i i try not to make a mistake um yeah. but yeah the the video for me is important because you know the numbers on paper are one thing in a spreadsheet they might say one thing but the video uh supplies another take and I want to have um, an intimate understanding of what exactly happens on a restart. Why do drivers struggle? Where they struggle? Um, what specific drag- uh, drivers do they pa- uh, struggle against? Uh, not just on that, just in the passing game, what we can see. This is a very difficult sport to follow. Usually it's two or three cars on, on the track at one time on your TV screen. Um, so understanding what happens, what, what you don't see um, is difficult. And in that sense, you'll rely on some timing and scoring data. Um, and you're going to have to use some inferences on what you've learned about them in in the past to understand what exactly happened when you didn't see it. All right. Well, with, with all that said, I I think that we've validated you as, uh, (laughs) a worthy expert. Oh, I don't know. Like you've had Roger Penske on this podcast, right? (laughs) Like we're, we're scraping the bottom of the barrel. No, please. Please. I don't want to um, risk this being the last Nate Ryan podcast. You're you're the man I want on here for analyzing these the the, the championship four that we have. So um, let's just get right to it. We've got Carl Edwards, Jimmy Johnson, Joey Logano, Kyle Busch headed to Homestead Miami Speedway. Best finish will win the championship. And when I look at this, David, I mean, if you look, and again, the past is never necessarily prologue. Sure. Uh, in NASCAR, we certainly saw that illustrated by Kevin Harvick's performance at Phoenix. Myself and others said, oh, absolute firewall. There's no way. Right. As long as Kevin Harvick gets to the uh, round of eight, he's in. And we were all proven wrong. I was proven wrong, <laughs> particularly by Phoenix. But if you look at the past finishes in Miami for these guys, Kyle Busch, although he won this race a year ago, 
he has the worst average finish of the four, 21.1, second worst track statistically in average finish for him in, in cup. Joe Logano, 17.7 average finish at Miami, fourth worst track for him in cup, uh, never won there. Jimmy Johnson, also winless here, which is somewhat surprising giving six championships. Uh, 14.1 average finish, which is eighth worst for him in cup. And then we get to Carl Edwards, who has won here twice. Granted, it's been six years since the last one. Okay. But he's won here twice, 9.2 average finish at Miami, uh, which is his third best in Sprint Cup. So when you look at the championship four, tell me why it's not so simple as Carl Edwards seems to be a, an overwhelming favorite. Okay. So why why is it, why is it so simple? Um, because there is um, a litany of ways that a race can be decided. And every race, you know, uh, you'll, you'll hear uh, crew chiefs talk about caution trends. Um, I think that's largely a bunch of malarkey because every race plays out differently. Um, you don't know how a race is going to be decided. And in this championship format, um, gone are the days of a one-trick pony uh, either stumbling upon something that works for a eight or 10 race stretch, uh, or, or legitimately finding something, uh, gone are the days of them running up so big of a lead that it's impenetrable coming into Homestead. Now teams aren't allowed to settle. And in this kind of knockout playoff format, uh, situations within a race decide who advances. You know, using your example of Carl Edwards, um, he has some very serious hurdles to clear if if he's going to win this championship. Um, for starters, his his passing, uh, I'll I'll respectfully say that it's subpar. <laughs> Uh, passing just in terms of yes um, if, if he gets mired in traffic by a bad pit stop can he get back to the front with a fast car right yeah. so so just in, in terms of um, in passing by by himself uh, in 2016 uh, has an adjusted pass efficiency of 49.7 percent that falls below 50 percent which is just a balanced passer you pass as much as you pass uh, get passed um, on soft intermediates like Homestead specifically he's worse 45 percent, and that ranks 40th in the series okay um and i'll tell you where where carl is struggling is on restarts specifically out of the non-preferred groove uh ranks 20th on uh, in retention only keeps his position about 40 percent of the time um the series average is 50 percent out of that groove uh that's a big problem for him Mm -hmm. okay so considering, you know, if you're a believer in caution trends, and we saw two very different uh, races the last two years, um, at Homestead in 2014, uh, there were 14 restarts. Uh, Homestead 2015, there were eight. Both of those numbers are very high for a 400-mile race, okay? So if you're a believer in that, I'm not, um, but if you are, then recent races don't shape up very well for Carl Edwards. So how how is he you know how is he going to get this? So I think we're all in tune with the election cycle. We heard the term uh, pathway to victory, mm-hmm. um, certainly on election night, probably more prevalent during the primaries. What is Carl Edwards's pathway to victory? It's all going to be speed, mm-hmm. and he's going to have to practice fast, qualify fast, 
uh, startup front unload fast. And when I say unload fast, I'm not talking about NASCAR jargon. I'm talking about physically unload the car out of the hauler and put it in the inspection line before any team has a chance to do it. Set the tone, Hmm. play the mind game, and be fast out of the gate. Hmm. Because if that doesn't happen, if he doesn't start the race with track position, he's in a lot of trouble. He's proven this year in JGR equipment that he can't get himself out of dirty air. This race falls on Dave Rogers, his crew chief. Dave Rogers... One of the best strategists, uh, pit strategists in NASCAR, um, specifically very aggressive at these kinds of racetracks, gained Carl uh, seven positions earlier this year at Kansas, three at Chicagoland, three at Kansas. That's, uh, that's a good pull. Um, it's probably unfair to ask that Dave Rogers place this race on his shoulders. Um, but in the instance that Carl starts 11th or is up front and gets a penalty. Um, it's going to come down to the crew chief. I don't know. He, he's certainly aggressive and he's efficient in his aggressiveness. Um, you're going to have to have more from him if it gets to that, uh, gets to that point. So everything he's done in the past, uh, Carl at Homestead doesn't really matter. Um, what matters is what he's done this year, maybe the last two years, um, his pathway to victory to me um it's clear in what he has to do that's just a lot to ask mm-hmm. uh, i mean it, it's it's literally no mistakes in the setup of the car no mistakes on pit road that's a lot to ask of your crew chief um but that's what's going to have to happen i suppose two recent examples we can give to to kind of put this in, in real world perspective although the, the numbers and the, the deep dive and the, the stats is great david and exactly why i wanted you to come on here and to put it in, in terms everybody can understand kansas obviously right. he loses on that final restart to harvick and then just can't make it up with with a car that by all indications was faster harvick said it after sure. it was faster and that's that's the importance of track position that's the importance of restarts that's why you're tracking preferred line versus non-preferred line on right. restarts obviously one one either the outside or the inside depending on the track or, or conditions is, is the better one um that tells us a lot because that, we hear drivers say it all the time restarts are are the places now to to gain or lose ground it's those right. three or four the, laps mo- the most position crucial. changes in a nascar race are on restarts yeah that's it okay it's the most vulnerable a driver is going to be in that entire 400 or 500 mile race right and then the second uh, example I would give when you talk about Dave Rogers, who I agree, like not only brilliant crew chief, great strategist, but also seems to seems to have assembled. Uh, he said it after Texas when we did a sit down with him in it for NBCSN that he feels like this is the best team, pit crew and road crew that he's ever had in NASCAR, which is saying a lot for a guy who worked with Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch. Um, that short pit call he made at Texas, short pitting being. Uh, bring your guy in a little bit earlier, and that's that was essentially what won Carl Edwards Texas. Yeah, and it's going to have to be similar in this race. Um, I, I don't. Uh, Carl's a very good driver in, in clean air. Um, he's considerably good. It's when he gets in dirty air, when he gets around traffic. Um, statistically, just the numbers, what the numbers say. I don't trust him. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have to have a lot from Dave Rogers. He's going to have to go into that race consternating a, a way to to be more aggressive than usual and catch the other three competitors off guard because this championship four, no one is infallible. Mm-hmm. They're all going to be aware of their weaknesses. Um, 
pit road might be a weakness, but all of them are going to try to to cover that up when given the chance. There were, you know, in this race last year, there were two really long runs, one about 100 laps, one about 80 laps. And somebody can fact check that because I'm literally pulling that off <laughs> out of my brain. Um, uh, and there were three green flag pit cycles. Right. Okay. So, uh, you know, we, we saw, you know, 2014 one way, 2015 another way. Um, you have to be prepared for that opportunity. The green flag pit cycle um, is really the only form of, uh, of opportunity for a crew chief to impact track position in the middle of a race. Um, you know, the, the wedge adjustments on, you know, during a, a, a caution flag pit stop, uh, you know, okay, good, good, good. It can get you a couple of spots on pit road. It can uh, help your car handle, you know, in the short run versus the long run. Um, but how a crew chief has the best way to impact a race is during green flag pit cycles. Dave's going to have to hope that those occur. Mm-hmm. Uh, if uh, Carl Edwards finds himself uh, dipping as expected. You mentioned those the, those weaknesses. Uh, we'll just work our way through the championship okay. contenders. And the next one, Jimmy Johnson, I mean, a lot of people would say Homestead Miami Speedway might be a weakness for this team because he's, he's never won there. As I mentioned, it's it's not one of his best tracks in terms of average finish. Uh, of course, the, uh, the, the flip side of that would obviously be that rarely has he had to win here. Uh, and right, so it's 20, uh, 2010, he finished yes. second. He, uh, he trailed Denny Hamlin by 15 or so points mm-hmm. heading into Homestead. Uh, he finished second. Denny had a, a bad day. Maybe he was an underdog. Maybe, maybe Jimmy was the underdog that day, but it didn't feel like it because no. Denny Hamlin brought a Mike Ford to a Chad Canals fight. Um, <laughs> and it, it, you know, what occurred occurred. I mean, Jimmy showed that when, uh, if need be, um, when he's not protecting a lead, he can go out and and perform. But right. you're right in that he's never been in a scenario like this before. Right. There is no lead to protect. Um. And there's nobody who has a lead to protect. Right. Because um, if you we, look at his his six championships, as you mentioned, 2010, he came in behind. That was the the, the exception. Right. 2006 through 2009, I think he came in the lead with, with in every single one. Certainly 2007, 2009, he sure. came in with big leads that he just had to protect. You race a different way when you have to protect. Same in 13, he came in with a sizable margin over Matt Kenseth. Raced just, you know, just he did what he had to do. The instances in which... He's had to perform well, David, though, that are that strike me, uh, as you mentioned, 10. 2005, he came in, and 04. The first two years of the chase, they, they came in. They performed very well. At, the, the Kurt Busch win, uh, both Hendri- uh, Gordon and Johnson yeah, performed very well. I think he finished either second or third. Yeah. Gordon and him finished two and three. So they did well that year. 2005, of course, was the year where the Knauss-Johnson relationship almost imploded. Because Knaus kept him out there when Johnson felt like his tire was going down, and Knaus didn't really. And that was where the, all the trust issues popped up. But they were right. running well despite having that problem, and, and or until having that problem. And then 2012, he came in way behind Kislowski, and uh, actually, if things would have worked out correctly until they had that that problem, it looked at one point like he was going to win the race and win the championship. So, I guess again, like like Edwards. History doesn't know it isn't always maybe the, the the best indicator. Although, as we were talking before, David, I mean, you might have numbers that indicate Johnson on restarts. Even though the mile and a half tracks have been stronger for Hendrick during the chase, he certainly he won Charlotte. Uh, he excelled at Chicagoland. 
there have been examples where restarts have been a little bit of a weakness for him. Yeah, this year's a little bit different of a look for Hendrick Motorsports, right? So we we, we riders spent uh, the first 26 races uh, trying to understand what exactly was going on at Hendrick Motorsports. I wrote that uh, signing William Byron was probably the best thing that's happened to Hendrick in the last two years. Um, until Jimmy wins the championship, I'll probably stand by that. But their, their missing speed was a bit of a question. And lo and behold, here we are in the week leading up to the finale. Uh, all four Hendrick cars were in the top five uh, uh, fastest uh, at Phoenix based on the, the average green flag speed rankings. So they were either hiding something or they found something at, mm-hmm. the, at the right time, which doesn't usually happen. Usually who you are in the regular season bores out in the chase. Mm-hmm. Um, they have outperformed themselves. Now, I, this isn't a Carl Edwards situation. Um, Jimmy is a phenomenal passer. He always has been. He's, uh, you know, if you're, if, if you're lucky enough to, to sit in the stands and watch the 48 go to work, he, he carves guys up like he's a surgeon. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. It's a, it's a clinic, every race. Um, he ranks third this year in adjusted pass efficiency. Um, uh, his percentage, 53% for the chases. Uh, actually, it's seen an uptick, 57%. Uh, so he's even better. On soft intermediates, he comes in about 55%, ranks fifth. And he's far and away the best passer among the championship four uh, on soft intermediates. If he gets into trouble, I feel fine. Mm-hmm. Um, Chad Canals on pit strategy, uh, pretty good. Not not uh, not elite in this sense, but um, just this year at Kansas, plus four positions uh, in both races. Uh, Chicago land, they suffered a pass through penalty, so the 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 numbers on soft intermediates um, uh, aren't as attractive as the others, but. Um, if this is the same 48 team that we've seen in the chase, then they're a solid contender. If it's the 48 team that we've seen during the regular season, uh, they've got a lot to overcome. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one shows up. I don't know what, what you want, you know, what you choose to believe. I don't know about you. Um, you'd like to think that what we've been watching during this entire playoff is true. It's revealed the true character of the team, the true ability of the team. Um, they're a very fast race team, and they have a driver that is very good and has figured out how to to win win these championships. Um, what we've never seen him do is come into a race where he's not protecting, and, he, and then no one else is. Um, I don't know. I, I'm I'm a little bit more rosy than what his average finish uh, suggests. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think I'd I'd be in Camp Johnson if if right. I was if I was forced to make a pick. He'd, it's just hard to pick against a guy who has six championships and and the best crew chief, likely of all time. Uh, let's talk about the, the the driver who comes in with the most momentum. Although, oh boy, I I try to avoid that term. Yeah, he used air quotes. Yeah, L- <laughs> listeners can't see that, yeah. so I'll, I'll I'll fill in. I on just that. I'm not a believer that momentum actually exists. Uh, Joey Logano comes in having one Phoenix. But again, seven point seventeen point seven average finish at Homestead. Um, it was funny after Phoenix. Uh, uh, Roger Penske coined a new term 
and that he said that the re- he's re- the, the the race winners restarts at Phoenix were classic Logano, capital C, capital L, I think. So, um, how do you size up um, his chances, David, for Joey Logano at Miami? If is there such thing as classic Logano restarts, or are you maybe not buying that quite as much? <laughs> uh, it's tough to go against the captain on that. Yeah, um, yeah, we are talking about. <laughs> well, I, I mean, Arjepensky. Um, no disrespect to the, uh, <laughs> the the titan of industry there, but I, I would I would say Joey's actually just an average restarter, um, which you know can go either way. But you know, I, and I've thought about this when you when you brought up the the M word. Um, there's going to be some talking head, either on on your channel or in one of the morning shows on one of the radio shows, that is going to uh, make an elaborate sounding case for Logano and look, I, I get it. I, I understand it. You know, momentum is momentum is something that we perceive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the argument in that sense, it's going to sound really good. You know, he, he was hot at Texas. He, he won Phoenix. Uh, he finished fourth at this race last year, led about 70 laps. Logano is my pick. Slam, slam the table, call mm-hmm. it a day. You know that's that's going to be the talking head strategy. I I respect that, um, but it's it's a rather uh, blinkered rationale. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at what Logano is able to do and what this track is on paper, um, a lot like Carl Edwards, there's some hurdles that. Joey and this 22 team are going to have to clear. Uh, Joey's just an average passer. He's just an average restarter. Now, it's it's good enough to have gotten him this far, and he's capitalized on an opportune times uh, to, you know, capital C, capital L. Um, but there's going to be a lot to overcome. The 22 speed this year has been inconsistent at best. Uh I think the uh, the only race in which Joey Logano had the fastest car this year was the first Michigan race. Okay, um, having one of the top three fastest cars will get you uh, a podium finish a little under eighty percent of the time. Okay, so he can't even if he's the fifth fastest car. Odds are that's going to doom him. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just going to have to show up with a setup that's infinitely better than their competitions. Right. Uh, even if it comes down to pit strategy, I'm not bullish on Todd Gordon. Um, he doesn't offer much in the name of uh, positional gains or losses. It's just sort of neutral across the board, which could pan out to be okay. Uh, it also could pan out to be a scenario in which Joey needs those positions. And as an average passer and restarter, that's going to be tough for him to get if he's mired in traffic. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Uh, I want want to touch on couple of things here sure. crew chief todd gordon um he does feel as if this team 
is better than it was two years ago. Obviously, two years ago, they, they went to the, the championship four and the 22 essentially lost the title um, when the jack got dropped. Right. And um, Todd Gordon compared that after Phoenix to Le- LeBron James missing a three and that he feels as if that the they don't have as many. It sounds as if they don't feel as if they have as many weak links right. as they did two years ago. And I will say, I, I think you make a really good point, David, about how the Penske cars to me that the story of the 2016 season for Penske has been the way they've overachieved yes. is, is that execution level that maybe, maybe cost him Logano the shot at a championship in 14. It's, it's been there in spades, both for him and Keselowski this year. And that if you look at the tracks where they're winning, they win at the plate tracks. They Keselowski wins on fuel mileage at Kentucky. They, it seems like they've maximized what they've had. And maybe Phoenix was another example of that for Logano. D- didn't have the fastest car, but put themselves in position to win and maximized what they had. Absolutely. Uh, I would say the uh, the driver's intelligence exceeds um, what they have at their capacity. And look, Penske's shown plenty of speed in the past. This year, for whatever reason, uh, across the board, um, they didn't have it on a consistent basis. Uh you know, I know. I know. Brad said that he felt he could win the championship. Um, I believe that that's true. I think he was always an outside shot and needed some turn of fortune to capitalize. I feel the same way about Logano, um, and we just saw the, the turn of fortune occur at Phoenix, um, where a, a hard scrabbled finish eliminated some competitors uh, and opened the door for him. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you can't count on that happening in a race. Um, I, I, I buy into a world where he's a top five runner um, this Sunday at Homestead. Uh, I can see that, uh, and the numbers bore that out. Uh, on soft intermediates this year, he actually has the, the fifth fastest car. Um, but to take it to that next level to, to show that he can dominate as he did in, in Texas, I don't know that you can count on it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's possible because we've seen him do it. Um, we just haven't seen him do it often enough this season. Right. Right. Briefly soft intermediates. I think you may have already. Sure. Okay. It, so but... yeah. Um, when, when working with young drivers, uh, and, and trying to help them climb the ladder, uh, NASCAR has an approval process for, um, uh, for a driver being approved to run a certain track. Um, and when I, uh, started out helping drivers, uh, figure out how to, how to apply for approval. Um, they break down different tracks based on the severity of speed. So, uh, for instance, they view Kentucky and, uh, Kansas and Homestead a little bit safer than they do Texas and Atlanta. Um, and they referred to it as soft intermediates then. So and those three I have, tracks are soft intermediates, uh, uh, uh Kansas, Kansas, Homestead, Kentucky. Kentucky yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chicago land. Chicago um, F4. All right. And it's just based on severity of speed. Uh, and then if you, when you separate the intermediates, the, the Bruton Smith style quad opals have a, have a signature shape all to themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, they deserve their own separation. If we're going to, um, if you want to lump, the, these teams into just how they perform on intermediates, I think that's fine. Um, but if you want to to get some clearer specification, um, I'd break down the the two types, uh, which I do. All right, and have ever since. All right, good explanation. Well, let's get to the the final championship contender. Last but not least, I should say, defending series champion. Uh, he won this race a year ago, Kyle Busch, to win his first Sprint Cup championship. But yet, 
he comes in with uh, the worst average finish at this mile and a half track, which mile and a half, by the way, when we say intermediates, that's pretty much interchangeable with mile and a half. Uh, 21.1 average finish here, his second worst track uh, on the Sprint Cup circuit. But David, I think you'll be able to find something that tells me that perhaps his odds of repeating (laughs) conversely might be better than what his stats indicate, and primarily because I, I know you've—I've heard you say this. I've seen you write this. He's—he's he's a great restarter. Yes, yeah, it's and arguably one of the best. Uh, and that's, you know, we we saw that race last year, how it played out. The the eight restarts, the three green flag pit cycles. Um, there were long runs. Uh, the race ended on a short run, uh, about six or seven laps. Um, Kyle, along with Kevin Harvick, went into that race. Uh, being extremely versatile across the board, across all the factors that decide races, they're both very good. They finished first and second. Uh, that's not a mistake. Okay. Um, Kyle comes into this race again as the chase driver uh, that is the most versatile. Okay. He's, uh, from a speed standpoint, no team has been faster in the chase. Uh, he was the, the second fastest. Uh, had the second fastest car overall this season, uh, second only to Kevin Harvick. Um, restarting from the non-preferred groove, he is sensational. Uh, he, he's an expert. Ranks first in the series. It's very tough to get by him uh, from the preferred groove. Ranks sixth, not totally high up, but the percentage is high enough to where you you can't discount him. Um, and then the big factor is if this race turns into just one giant run is pit strategy. Adam Stevens has been excellent. Um, and specifically, uh, just position retention on green flag pit cycles uh, comes in around 78%. The series average is 65%. Okay. If you want to get more granular, uh, pitting from a top three position, they keep that position 83% of the time. The series average is 55%. Okay. So it's almost a 30% increase. Um, they know how to protect their position uh, in terms of positional defense. Kyle is excellent. Um, now, Nate, I said no one in this chase is infallible. Um, if this were an Xfinity Series race, I would feel great about his passing ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not. And he's been middle of the road uh, at best. Um, 51.45% efficiency this season. That ranks 11th in the series. Uh, but it becomes a little bit more disconcerting just on the intermediate specifically. Uh, he's a below par passer, 48% ranks 29th overall. And just, just to jump in on that, David, is that an indictment of the team or is that more of a function of the current? Because it's interesting you bring this up because Kyle Bush was asked, um, I think it was Jim Utter with motorsport.com, asked him um, uh, during his Phoenix media availability last weekend about how the rules package in 2016 changed. Obviously when it came out, it, it debuted to rave reviews from the drivers who of course had pretty much championed it for the last couple of years, lower downforce being the direction to go. But um, Kyle Busch kind of gave a mixed answer and said, as the teams gained the downforce back, obviously it, it makes it more difficult to have the side-by-side action and passing sure. over the course of a season. So w- when you, when you read those, which, I'm surprised by that. I, I, you know, I figured like his passing numbers would be off the charts. Is that, is that just go back to what we've been saying that again, those four or five laps after a restart, that's when you make, Hey, if you're trying to gain spots. And aside from that, even if you're 
probably the most talented driver in NASCAR currently, Kyle Busch, defending series champion. You're not going to be able to overcome that even with a championship car. Right. The, I believe that the drivers would probably find it more difficult if it's a package not to their liking. Mm-hmm. Um, you can go as far as the car uh, uh, is fast and handles, right? So uh, the for a number standpoint, um, the change isn't going to be much in terms of percentage. Um, Kyle has experienced a small dip over the last few years. Um, but it's not game-changing by any shape, uh, the imagination. Uh, like I said, he comes in as the favorite uh, for this race. Um, I don't know that it's uh, that he would be unable to pass in traffic. The numbers bore out uh, a season-long inability. Um, that's not to say that it's based solely on the handling of the car. Right. And – that's that's why the numbers change every year. There's going to be some reason. Uh, there's a lot of guys that are consistently fantastic passers. Kevin Harvick, regardless of what car you put him in, is going to be able to pass. Uh, Reed Sorensen is going to be able to pass. And there's some drivers that can just – it clicks. Uh, you know, we're talking about Carl Edwards. Uh, we can probably add Denny Hamlin. For whatever reason, they haven't figured out traffic and restarts, and it hasn't worked to their advantage in quite some time. Um, so yeah, I, I believe that Kyle has a point handling can have that effect. Um, it's not going to change much, um, unless it's just so far off that he can't do anything with a car. Mm -hmm. And if that were the case, the numbers would be, uh, dramatically more different. You touched on Denny Hamlin there, David. One more thing um, I want to hit on as far as the championship contenders discussion is, uh, a a post you had on motorsports analytics, but by the way, I should I should plug this properly here. Motorsportsanalytics.com yes. is where people can go and they subscribe to your service. And it's a couple of posts a week. Is that about right? Or a couple of posts three? a week. Updated okay. stats every week during the season. Um, the The NASCAR season will end. Uh, my work will not. So during <laughs> during the off season, uh, I've got awards post, season end awards uh, post coming up, uh, SWOT analyses, a top 75 prospects list, um, some resolution to some some projects I'll be able to have time to work on now that the rigidity of the NASCAR schedule is uh, tell me about is it is over. But uh, <laughs> and, and then uh, it'll be time for Daytona, um, and there we'll have some season previews posted. But um, if uh, somebody listening wants to, if they think they're going to subscribe in February, uh, please subscribe now. Uh, just because for the month of November, uh, all proceeds for this month are going to go to Stomp Out Bullying, which is. Uh, a charity near and dear to my heart, but uh, they, they raise awareness in schools uh, through a grassroots campaign about uh, bullying and cyberbullying. Uh, and they also provide a free consultation to kids that are bullied uh, if they need that, need that reassurance. So it's a good charity. It's a great cause. And I will provide you with hopefully some worthwhile information. I would agree with that. That is a worthy cause. And if you were a subscriber and, and helping that out, you would have read this post that um, you did recently that said the imperfections of Joe Gibbs racing have been hiding in plain sight. So I'm going to give you a chance to kind of explain that. And I'll just preface it by saying, obviously Joe Gibbs racing goes into the championship round with half the field, which is impressive by any stretch, any measure. But this is a team that 
for a lot of the regular season, we were wondering if they would have all four cars in the championship round the way they've sure. dominated the last year. So uh, what has happened in the chase? Uh, they didn't win until Texas. And even then, it was a rain-shortened event. And, you know, Joey Logano might have won the fight, but Carl Edward, Edwards was scored the winner, to use some boxing parlance. But, um, you know, winning sometimes, uh, and I said earlier in, the, in this that we overestimate it sometimes, you also take it for granted sometimes. It's not an easy thing to do for a team, especially at this high of a level. Uh, it's also not a guarantee. These races fall onto situations, and where they were hiding in plain sight um, are these imperfections during race-defining situations. They just come to fruition. Um, the, uh, the the eleven, the nineteen have struggled on restarts. Um, Kenseth has been okay. I mean, it, when you when you talk about momentum, really, the the guy was probably Kenseth, just in terms of mm-hmm. sheer speed leading up to this race. Right. Um, if if he was in if he was in the championship four, we might have be having a different conversation. But um, in terms of all season, uh, he's been spotty. Uh, Kyle's been the only thing that's been uh, uh, probably a, an across the board strength for Joe Gibbs Racing. And when we go back to those passing numbers, it's clear that it's not perfect. He has some faults. Um, And if it came to that, if he incurred a penalty or some damage happened, um, how do you feel about him making his way through the field? Right. Uh, I don't don't know that it's a great feeling, but I have a lot of – a lot of trust in his crew chief's ability to make up for it if given the chance. Um, Kyle, overall, we, there was an article uh, two weeks ago about um, passing outside of the restart window. Kyle makes up positions that way. He was, at the time, breaking down the uh, the remaining eight ch- chasers. I believe he ranked about fifth in that. Um, but he can he can make up those positions, but you just don't know how much time is going to be left in a race in order to do that or how long a run is going to be. Right. I have so much more I want to talk about, but unfortunately – uh, as you know, podcasts are kind of time limited, so I'm running out of time. Uh, two more things, I guess. Well, one, okay. we are, I already declared my um, allegiance to to Jimmy Johnson as, as championship favorite, but you are not going to make a pick. No, correct? I'm going to be Switzerland. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. No, yeah, I. You know what? Um, I don't do that. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll preface, uh, my website experience by saying that I'm not, I'm not going to pick winners. Uh, I'll say this just based on versatility, Kyle Busch is the favorite for this race. Um, is he my pick? I have no idea. A hot dog wrapper could decide, (laughs) could decide how this uh, race turns out. I'm, I'm an observer. I'm a fan just like anybody else. Uh, I'm kind of ready for the unexpected, so hey, we'll see. I'm 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 just here to enjoy it. Okay, I think this is, that's a good place to leave it. Even though I <laughs> I want to still ask you about. Actually, I want to interject. I, yes. I want to ask you a question. When is the Nate Ryan on music podcast going to happen? <laughs> uh, I'm gonna in some alternate universe that's that's occurring right now. If I can tell a story, and I and I hope that it's not out of school. I don't think it is. No, go ahead. Um, Arcade Fire's last album was Reflector, I believe. Yes. Okay. All right. Eminently so, forgettable. <laughs> but yes. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Uh, so the story is okay. All right. So uh, I was curious. I think this was the peak of Arcade Fire's popularity. We're going to lose a lot of listeners by this story, by the way. But <laughs> we might just uh, edit this out. But it lets us riff. <laughs> but uh, it, I texted you. I, I'd read uh, conflicting reviews of the album. I texted you your thoughts and. 
one, you blew me away because I think it was like 10, 15 in the morning. Uh, you had already downloaded it and listened to the entire <laughs> album in its entirety. <laughs> and then you gave, this is all via text message, a very thorough critique of the album, which I think you use the words eminently unforgettable or eminently forgettable. <laughs> eminently forgettable, um, yeah. Hasn't changed since October 13th. So yeah, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to get to your thoughts on the uh, evolving of, of Chase Elliott um, and, and your your assessment of his ability. And, and Jeff Gordon, um, you had a great line from Clerks uh, in your most recent post on him and whether uh, you know, his, his interim uh, performance and that the number 88 ride in place of Dernard Jr. went well or not. Um, so clearly just, uh, that just means we're going to have to have you back okay. and, and talk about some more of these things. I'm sorry it took this long to actually have you on here, but now that we did, I'm, I'm glad we finally did. I, I'm, I'm happy to play a small part in the Nate Ryan podcast empire that is just burgeoning here. Um, <laughs> again, we're in a studio. I can't I can't yeah. overemphasize well, that. As you'll note, this, this studio has cameras, so it's not really this oh, is I, not really a purpose-built podcast oh, but, but studio. I think, but I think we know what it's truly for. It's Serves our purposes well enough in this instance. Uh, David, thanks again so much for your yes, time sir. and insight. and appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Our thanks again to David Smith for all of the knowledge, insight he provided. We will see how much of it pans out on Sunday as we find out who the 2016 Sprint Cup champion is. And stay tuned for another NASCAR podcast this weekend as well. I'll sit down with colleague Dustin Logg at some point at Homestead Miami Speedway, and we'll give our expectations for Sunday, based off of this week's media appearances and Friday's practice and, and qualifying. We'll probably tape it sometime Friday for release early Saturday, but stay tuned for that. And I don't want to jinx it, but I am scheduled to tape with another big name in the Sprint Cup Series this weekend. So we should have that for you Thanksgiving week on the NASCAR and NBC podcast, heading into the offseason with a bang, hopefully. Thanks, as always, to Tess Quinlan for producing the NASCAR NBC podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes for automatic downloads of new episodes. And as always, podcast is available on Audioboom, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, virtually any method of listening to a podcast, you should be able to find the NASCAR NBC podcast. And don't forget to check out the NBC Sports podcasting lineup as well. If you've got ideas for this podcast, I'm always listening. Send them to me on Twitter at Nate Ryan, that's the best place to send me feedback and uh, let me know what you think. Uh, thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. I'm Steve Letart, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Whatever job you need to do out there, Grab the right tool to get it done. The new F-150 with an available hybrid engine and up to 7.2 kilowatts of pro power on board to power things on the go. It's not a tool you'll hang in a tool shed, but you can certainly use it to build one. The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features the owner's manual for important operating instructions. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. 
But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.